I invite you to open your Bibles to Hebrews, the fourth chapter. <clears throat> I believe someone, uh, we had a message from Hebrews 4 within the last uh, few months, I believe. And <clears throat> last Sunday morning, our the memory, the memory verse in uh in our quarterly came from this chapter. <clears throat> I would like to uh, begin reading at verse 11 and go through the, through the end of the chapter. <clears throat> I believe the message had been from the first part. Hebrews 4, 11. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. <clears throat> let us therefore come boldly, unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The, uh, the verse that I want to particularly call our attention to here this morning in this passage is verse 12. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now this is describing uh, the word of God as alive. It's, it's alive and it's powerful, it's active and it's strong. And the Spirit of God and the, I'm sorry, the Word of God and the Spirit of God uh, together are the power that, that uh, pierces, are the swords. In one scripture, it's, it speaks of the, uh, in Ephesians, I believe, it speaks of the, uh, with the armor of the word of God being the sword of the spirit. But it is sharp and piercing, probing to the very core of, of who we are, of who we each are. Now the heart, the heart is hard to know for us. It's certainly difficult to know someone else's heart. Paul wrote about that in Corinthians. He said, you know, we look at someone else and we can't really know 
what's in their heart. We can gather things from their behavior and so on. He didn't go on and elaborate on that, but, but uh, you know, he made that point that we can't just look into someone's heart and know what's there. But we know what we think. We know what we're thinking. But, you know, even for us, it's hard sometimes to really know what we're thinking or what's really down deep inside there that's, that's, uh, you know, the thoughts and intents. The thoughts, you know, go through our mind, but the secret intents of our heart. Jeremiah said that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? It's uh, the point there is that it is incurable. There is a solution for that, of course, through through Christ. But God knows our heart. God absolutely knows our hearts. And it describes him here as knowing it. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. But all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Which, which speaks of, the, of, of, the, of God as the judge and will be judged by the word with whom we have to do, with whom we're accountable to. Well, it's encouraging for us. It should be encouraging for us as Christians that, that the word is that kind of word that is discerning, that God is that kind of God who is knowing. Because God wants to show us. He wants us to recognize, wants us to see, wants us to acknowledge some of those thoughts and intents of our hearts. The discerning is the distinguishing, analyzing, judging, exposing, laying bare the thoughts and intents of our heart. And, you know, what are the motives? What are the attitudes that are, that incite us to action? that guides our choosing, that moves our will. We can talk about good motives, bad motives, strong motives, weak motives. Motives are very often behind deeds. And deeds are action. Deeds are things we do that we can see others do. Motives are what are behind deeds and are deeper than deeds. 
Now, the Scripture speaks about actions, talks, uh, we have many commands about things that we are to do and not do that speak to actions. The law in the Old Testament had many to do things and not to do things. And Jesus, uh, and, the, and in the New Testament, the, uh, the epistles teach things that we are to do, actions. But they also speak to motives and attitudes and what is behind the deeds. There are bad deeds that people do with bad motives. Uh, this morning in our Sunday school lesson, we uh, and I thought about it in our Sunday school class that uh, and I thought about it before I when I looked at the Sunday school lesson this week that the message uh, kind of parallels or builds on what we were looking at in our Sunday school lesson. But we looked at Judas in, in the uh, Sunday school and how there, there was a bad deed. But then why did he do that? You know, we we talked about that briefly and he was a thief. There was greed. Money. Uh, he was covetous. There were there were motives there that uh, a selfish motive. So there was a bad deed and it's it's obvious. It's explained that there was a, a bad motive behind it. Uh, when Peter denied Jesus, you know, that was the obvious thing. The words he said when that when that maid questioned, aren't you one of those men? Aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? And he said, no. Why did he do that? What was the motive behind that? Well, the, the scripture doesn't say we can just, it doesn't specifically spell it out, but we can kind of identify with Peter, the fear of, you know, what would happen to him. It was the reason that the disciples fled when Jesus was taken in the garden. We can understand that. It wasn't a particularly virtuous motive, was it? But uh, there was a motive behind his words. Can you do wrong deeds with good motives? Uh, there may be. I, I don't think we can. We can't do wrong things. We can't do sinful things with pure motives. There may be in some cases, you know, uh, in some situations you can kind of understand and you can sympathize more uh, with someone who has done something wrong than with other cases. A father who would have stolen bread to feed a starving family. Uh, you know, you can kind of sympathize a little bit with that even though it's wrong over uh, somebody who wants to buy uh, an expensive car and so he robs a bank. You know, you sort of feel a little differently about one than the other, but it's still wrong to steal. Can we do good deeds with bad motives? I think we can. Jesus gave some examples. If you want to look in Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, we'll 
we'll notice a few that Jesus gave in the first couple verses of Matthew 6. Jesus said, Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. So here was a deed, giving alms, putting something in the offering. That's good. And Paul writes about that. He says that's good, that we should do that. And But the problem here was the motive. It was bad. There was a bad motive. In the first verse, giving to be seen. Giving to be seen. And in the second verse, that they may have glory of men. Um, it, it was a show for, to, uh, to impress men. So their reward, uh, they weren't. That was not satisfactory, a satisfactory deed to God. It wasn't acceptable to, to God. The deed was good. The motive was bad. A few verses later in verse 5. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners, corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall, re shall reward thee openly. Prayer is good. That is a good deed. Uh, a good thing to do, to pray to God. We prayed here this morning, and I hope we prayed before we came this morning. And uh, I read this morning in a little devotional that I that comes via email. <coughs> it was a uh, it was a little brief uh, Tozer, A. W. Tozer devotional, and it was especially for. Uh, he was speaking to ministers and he said that preachers should spend more time praying than, uh, you know, for their people and their message than they do preaching. That was a good one for me. It just came this morning. But the uh, the motive motive here behind the, the Pharisees prayers were were bad that they may be seen of men then he goes on in uh, a little later beginning in verse 16 of Matthew 6 speaking about fasting moreover when ye fast be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance for they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head and wash thy face, 
we understand what the what the what the motive was there. He he made it clear they wanted to uh, appear unto men to fast. They accentuated. They added some makeup to uh, make it more impressive, to make it more obvious that they were fasting. Jesus said, don't, don't do that. We want a better motive. Don't, don't make it obvious. Fasting is good. But here in this case, the motivation was, was bad. In Matthew 7, just the next chapter, beginning at verse 20. <clears throat> Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. They list some of the things there, and, and uh, many wonderful works that they did, many wonderful deeds that they did. And he doesn't go into motives there. What, what were their motives? Except to say that they were workers of iniquity and they, they weren't doing the will of the Father, uh, which is in heaven. <clears throat> he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. The will of the Father is more than doing deeds. The will of the Father is doing deeds with the right motives, with the right attitudes. In chapter 23 of Matthew, verses 27 and 28, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. We understand what Jesus was describing there. The sepulcher, the whited, a whited tomb, shining in the sun and looking beautiful on the outside. The acts, the deeds that they did, they were good deeds. And, you know, Jesus said one place, you know, you should do those things. Um, but you're, you're leaving undone more important things like the motives within. And, and, uh, these were people whose hearts were, these were actually wicked people. Full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Good works on the outside. Wrong motives, wrong attitudes, 
wrong heart on the inside. So what are some motives, uh, good motives, right motives that we should have? I, I'm list, I listed a few here that should be primary motives. You know, I believe there can be primary motives and maybe secondary motives and, and uh, sometimes mixed motives and you know, when, uh, when the scripture speaks about our bodies being fearfully and wonderfully made, uh, those so, so are our minds and our hearts. And, you know, we can sometimes have layers of motives, I think. But here are some primary motives that I believe that can help us and if we, you know, work on these things, I believe they help clear up uh, motives that may be wrong or motives that are suspect. The first one I have here is to fear God. To fear God. The fear of the Lord, it says in Psalm 111, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments. His praise endureth forever. The fear of the Lord. What is the fear of the Lord? Well, certainly it is a reverence. And I believe with that reverence and awe that we have for a great, an amazing and wonderful heavenly Father, all-powerful, all-wise, and that, that there is also a fear, some measure of fear in the sense of being scared. And I think that's, I think that's part of the reverence with which we hold God. Because we know that God is a judge. The God who knows our hearts is the uh, discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is any creature that is not manifest in his sight. All things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. You know, there's, uh, there is, it will be a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God for the lost. And, you know, just knowing that there are people going to hell. And uh, as was, uh, I wasn't in for the end of the Sunday school lesson, but thinking of Judas, you know, he didn't start out uh, as a betrayer of Jesus. And so that's a caution for, for us. You know, where we are, um, like in verse 11, let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. That should uh, strike fear in our hearts. Uh, as a Christian, we shouldn't be terrified. We, we, don't, uh, we don't need to be terrified, but we need to have the kind of fear 
that recognizes God for who he really is. And that's that's a, a motivation and it affects our attitude toward God and toward life and toward our choices. And God is pleased with such a motivation in his children. In Psalm 128 verses 4 and 5, Behold that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. The Lord shall bless thee out of Zion, and thou shalt see the good of Jerusalem all the days of thy life. Those men I've been reading in Kings and Chronicles uh, recently, and those men that feared God were blessed of God. Those men that did not, they suffered. And women. So to fear God, that's that's a good that's that should be a primary uh, a primary motive. Another uh, primary motive is to love God, to love God. And I've thought already if uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the that the love of God and growing in our love for God and our knowledge for God is a result of that growth in wisdom and uh, learning to know God. You know, as we come to know him as the heavenly, the loving heavenly father, uh, we, we can love him. And as we come to understand what he did for us and how great his love was for us, we love him because he first loved us. One of the lawyers in the crowd one time in Matthew 22 asked Jesus, what, what is the greatest commandment? We're very familiar with this. And uh, <clears throat> Jesus said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. With all thy heart. That heart that God sees. That heart that God knows. That heart that God wants us to know. Wants us to love him with all our heart. And God is pleased with with such with a motivation like that, you know, with a love like that. uh, We wouldn't want to grieve God's spirit. For the Father himself loveth you because ye have loved me and have, have believed that I came out from God. John 16, verse 27. So we fear God. We love God. Those can go together. We don't come to a place where we love God. Now we no longer. Now he's just a great buddy. We never get there. We shouldn't. If we do, we've we've lost we've lost sight of who God is, and our understanding of Him is warped. We fear God. We love God. We want to please God. That's another motive, and that's that's uh, of course tied in with our fear, our reverence for God, and our love for God. But to please God, Ephesians six. 
uh, verses 5 through 8. Maybe you want to turn there if you have your Bible handy and it's convenient for you. Ephesians 6, beginning at verse 5. This talks about servants or slaves, but it talks about motivation too. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart, as unto Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free, master or servant. Now, while this is uh, speaking especially about employee and employer relationships, it's for all of us. In, in all our relationships, but to be uh, servants of Christ. We want to please God. Uh, our first concern is not uh, whether we please men. We, we do want to uh, please our employers, but we, we want to, first of all, to please God as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, the heart that God sees, the motive, what's the motive, what's the attitude in that heart, with good will doing service, as to the Lord, I'm doing this service, I'm giving this gift, I'm do, give, making this sacrifice, I'm doing this act of kindness, I'm giving this topic. I'm preaching this sermon. I'm leading these songs with goodwill doing service as to the Lord and not to men. To please God. Another uh, primary motive, I believe, is to honor God, you know, as disciples of Christ and uh, living our life in the world here, uh, in 1 Timothy 6, verse 1, Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and His doctrine be not blasphemed. So, if we... Uh, if we shirk our duties, if we have bad, uh, if we dishonor, disrespect, and act disrespectfully toward others, that doesn't bring honor to God. Christians who make sinful choices, uh, Christians who, who uh, disobey, Commandments of God are selfish and uh, take advantage of other people. Would do a scam 
like Fred was mentioning, to those uh, flood victims in Kentucky. Uh, take advantage of other people or, you know, uh, argue with them vehemently about a bill or something. And that doesn't bring honor to God, but rather, he says here, uh, we want to have, we need to have good attitudes <clears throat> that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. In Titus 2, exhort servants, seems like of all these scriptures here have been touching on servants and masters, but uh, exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not talking back, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God rather than blaspheming uh, the doctrine of God, the name of God and his doctrine, that they adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. In all things. It honors God. That's a motivation. A good motivation for us. We fear God. We love God. We want to please him. We want to honor him with our, with our life. And then uh, the last one that I have here is. To promote God's kingdom. That's tied in with what we've been looking at too. Uh, we just looked at. Uh, Titus 2, uh, where he said to show all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. So we're, uh, when we are living a righteous life, when we fear God, when we love God, when we please God from our hearts, we honor God and we promote God's kingdom. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. <clears throat> that promotes the kingdom. Sometimes we see ourselves. God wants us to see ourselves. He sees us. He wants us. He wants to show us. And sometimes our motives aren't what they should be. We see that. And it disappoints us. It should disappoint us. It should grieve us. And, you know, we can uh, be... We can... Uh, we can be, want to hold up the truth. We're concerned for the church. And we want to defend the truth. And we say, come out from among them. And be ye separate, saith the Lord. 
as as great defenders of the truth. But underneath there can be a, a critical attitude that's not pleasing to God. We can say, I forgive you. I forgive you to someone and but underneath when you know we think of that person the next day, a week later, uh, there's some bitterness there and some ill will. And we need to deal with that. Or a church work project comes up and I'll help. Well, you kind of feel pressured. You know, you feel kind of pressured. And and uh, so you, you do it, but kind of grudging. Kind of grudgingly. God sees that. Or we're asked to do something and we readily accept and we want to do it right. We want to do it for God. We want to do it for his people. And but sometimes swimming toward the surface of our pool of motives, there's some selfishness. And there's a little something there that would enjoy some praise. And uh, it's an opportunity to kind of showcase my talents. Or, you know, places we choose to go. And I remember talking, someone talking to me, he came to see me one time years and years ago, and he had a, he had a problem with pornography. And, uh, and he, there was a, a store that, that had a magazine rack. And, you know, there are other places to buy groceries, and he wouldn't have had to have gone to that store to buy groceries. But he would frequently do his shopping there. And it was somehow he just found his way on the way to the uh, potatoes and the crackers and whatever else. Uh, he, his route took him past the magazine rack. This, uh, this passage is so encouraging, I think. The Word of God is quick and powerful, and it shines right there, cuts right deep to the very heart of who we are. And it's what God sees. It's what God knows. It's what God wants us to see, wants, us, wants to call our attention to when things aren't as they should be. And it's so encouraging that he follows uh, this emphasis of how clearly he sees and that he is the judge. He doesn't use the word judge there, but it is he with whom we have to do. And then he says, seeing then 
that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession. Let's reestablish our commitments and our, our uh, confession of Christ as our Savior, as our Lord. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Come boldly to a throne of grace. And at that throne of grace, that generous, generous, bountiful throne of grace, we can find the two things that we need. Mercy. We need mercy where we've not done well and where that sword cuts into places that are infected or whatever or aren't as clean and clear and pure as they ought to be. There is mercy for cleansing, but there is also grace to help in time of need. There is grace. The gift of grace. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. Let us fear the Lord. Let's love the Lord. Let's please the Lord and honor the Lord. And uh, I believe as we make those primary motives um, uh, a high priority, that it will help those other motives, it will help deal with those other motives that, that surface every now and then or that are lurking there or are quite prominent there, whatever the case may be, it will help in dealing with them so that we can live with pure motives, loving the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind and with goodwill doing service as to the Lord. That the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. That our lives may promote uh, the kingdom. That they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Doing the will of God from the heart. Shall we have a closing song? Thank you.